So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Verse 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I brief, briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was the eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently in God's presence. And our gospel lesson today comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting and of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come for you, come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod, Herod called the... Sorry, this is a lot. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went away, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, filled, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child and his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for a room that is safe and a room that is warm, uh, where we can come together and learn more about you, more about ourselves in light of you. And, and so we just invite your Holy Spirit to come and be with us in these moments. 
I, um, I pray that you fill us with wisdom and courage as uh, we look at this story today. Will you give us the courage to see inside ourselves that things that you would like to work in us or expose in us or redeem in us or rescue in us. I pray that um, you would give us eyes to see those things and the courage to walk into those things. Uh, we love you and we're grateful for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I meant to say this earlier when I was doing announcements, um, but it's not an accident that our Christmas trees are still up. We're not lazy. Um, it's just that technically it's still Christmas. I don't know if you knew, um, but it, it really is. Um, January 6th, tomorrow, uh, on the church calendar all over the world is Epiphany. Um, and so that means that today, technically speaking, is the last day of Christmas. Uh, Christmas lasts 12 days. That's where the song comes from. On the first day. Okay. Do you want me to sing it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> that's the most you've responded to anything. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so Epiphany being tomorrow and today being the last, Christ last day of Christmas means a couple of things. Um, for those of you who grew up Catholic, and there are a lot of you in this room, um, it means you can finally take your Christmas tree down. Uh, so if you haven't, if you, like us, still have your Christmas tree up, you don't have to say, oh, I'm just too lazy to do it. You can say you're just, like, connecting with your liturgical roots. And so that's why your Christmas tree is still up. Um, I say this the first Sunday of January every year that we evangelicals are missing out on the fullness of Christmas. There is more of Christmas to be had, and uh, we're missing it, not celebrating all 12 days. Some of you are like, dear God, I'm done with Christmas, <laughs> and I've been singing, you know, Heather put her tree up October 31st. She might be, are you done? You still love it. Okay. <laughs> um, but technically and historically for the church uh, throughout the world, um, Christmas has always lasted for 12 days um, from Christmas Eve until the morning of January 6th. So the, the night of the 24th to the morning of the 6th, uh, 12 days. And so uh, because this is the 12th day of Christmas or the 12th night of Christmas tonight, um, this day is called Three Kings Day, and it's celebrated all over the world. Um, I don't know if she knew, Connie this morning gave me um, a essential oil roller with frankincense and myrrh in a gold bottle, which feels very good for today, right? Um, it's for my throat, but it's, it's, King, it's Three Kings Day, so it makes sense. Um, this to, uh, King, Three Kings Day is where the tradition of the king cake comes from, if you know what I'm talking about, the cake that it's built to look like a crown and you bake a baby inside of it, which, that's weird. Yeah, it's delicious, but... But it's weird. Um, another another tradition uh, for Three Kings Day is um, this happens all over the world, but mostly in Latin countries and in Spain, um, is that kids would leave their shoes out at night and wait for the Magi to come and bring them gifts. Like uh, they came to bring gifts for Jesus. Some kids put straw in their shoes for the camels to like lure them in. So, you know, if your kids don't have enough already, just tell them to put their shoes out. Who knows what will happen? Um, uh, that it, it, it just is a practice of, of connecting to the wise men who kind of get left out of the Christmas story from time to time. And so you put your shoes out to, to, um, to remind your, yourself of them coming to give gifts to Jesus. Um, and so I guess the thing is, is that uh, in so many places all over the world, today is a party. Tonight is a party, and so if you are looking for a reason to, you might as well have some people over. Uh, today is a party day, Three Kings 
day. Um, it was our practice during Advent and Christmas this year uh, to look at the characters of the Nativity story. So it makes sense that we would end this season the same way we started this season um, with our last characters, uh, the story of the wise men coming to visit Jesus. And uh, the wise men are very much an epiphany uh, story. So I'm excited to spend our time there today. Um, but before I jump into the story, I want to talk just briefly about Epiphany and what Epiphany is. Um, I think we're almost, we're a really good mix of uh, Catholics and Lutherans and Episcopalians and then Evangelicals. And so uh, some of you know what Epiphany is and some of you keep wondering why I wrote it on something and keep saying it. And so I just want to take a few minutes and talk about it. Um, here at Springbrook, we follow the church calendar all throughout the year. So what that means is um, the church has created a calendar of rhythms um, in order to connect. So uh, for the church, uh, the new year actually doesn't start. It didn't start last week. The new year for the church starts um, four weeks before Christmas. So right after Thanksgiving, we uh, celebrated it a little bit here. Um, and so beginning, um, usually at the end of November or the very beginning of December, the church calendar starts out and it has different sections all throughout the year. Um, the calendar, it goes from Advent into Christmas and then Epiphany, which starts tomorrow, which is the season we'll be in um, until the end of February when Lent begins. Uh, we move into Lent and then Easter and then after Easter is Pentecost. And depending on what tradition um, you adhere to, the rest of the, the year is either Pentecost or ordinary time. But it's these sections, uh, these rhythms, these schedules of, of, of turning to Jesus. So why does it matter? Why does it matter that we follow the church calendar? Um, what, what is the reason for it? Why is it important? Um, the point of the church calendar, I believe, is um, to connect our bodies and our days and our practices uh, with the movement of God in our lives. That we want to actually connect ourselves uh, to the movement of God in our lives. The calendar uh, for the church, a lot like the lectionary. The lectionary are the weekly texts that go with every season. Um, the calendar, like the lectionary, they act like train tracks in our lives. Taking us to the places that God has been taking his people since the very beginning of time. Uh, they take us into seasons of anticipation and seasons of introspection and seasons of celebration and seasons of revelation. Uh, the calendar, a good way to think of it is the calendar is sort of like the back line of the band. Uh, it offers this low hum and the rhythm uh, to the music of our lives. There are loads of reasons, um, I believe, to come to church. I, 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 it's my job. I love church, um, but I think there are lots of great reasons to come to church. You, you come to church for community, you come to church uh, to learn, you come to church to serve, to worship, so many things. Um, but I would argue this one. I would argue uh, that, that, that the calendar is part of the reason that we come to church because the truth is um, you might not learn here every single Sunday, and uh, you may not serve here every Sunday or feel connected here every single Sunday, um, but sometimes coming to church is as simple as showing up faithfully Faithfully learning the rhythms of the Spirit of God alongside other people. Some Sundays, uh, coming to church is as simple as connecting your body to the place uh, that God put into the world to be like a practice field for what our lives are supposed to look like outside of the walls of this building. And I would argue that learning the rhythms of anticipation and introspection and revelation and celebration, that these are vital to, the, to life in the way of Jesus. And that's why we follow the calendar. 
is because we want to learn um, with our bodies and our brains and our practices how to follow the rhythms of God uh, all throughout the year. And so today, uh, we are kind of in a, in, um, in moving into a new season. We are moving away from the season of anticipation and introspection uh, that is Advent. And we've come through the celebration of Christmas, and we get to continue that celebration um, with the season of Epiphany. There are verses uh, all throughout the scriptures where God comes to his people and he says, essentially, uh, party or I will kill you. Learn how to celebrate me and learn how to celebrate what I'm doing or I'll kill you, which is a threat I'm willing to take because I like to party. Um, but that's where we are. We're in the we're in the celebration season of Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is an ancient season of feasting. It is a season of celebrating the Word of God being made flesh and getting out into the world. Uh, literally speaking, the word Epiphany means shining through. It's a season of, of fresh thoughts. It's a season of new insights shining through, insights into this Christ child who is the hope of the world. Uh, it's a season of revelation, uh, the shining through of the glory of God that was born in a manger. Epiphany is intentionally, on purpose, turning our eyes in a fresh way to who Jesus truly is. It is uh, having new eyes for really familiar stories. Uh, most of what we'll read over the next few weeks, you, uh, if you have been around the church at all, you probably have read over and over again. But it's learning how to fr have fresh eyes on familiar things. And so today, uh, we do that. Today, we turn our eyes to one of the very first stories of Jesus reveal revealing himself into the earth. From Matthew chapter 2, um, I think there's so much that God reveals to us about who he is and how we find him in the story of the Magi. Um, uh, there are lots of different words for, for what, what these men are called. The, there's the wise men. Um, there's kings. It's called Three Kings Day. I like magi. It comes from magician. I think that sounds very cool. Um, but really, none of those are perfect words to describe who these guys were. Um, these, are, these guys were a group of Persian mystic scientists. Um, they were essentially like pagan priests of the stars. Um, I like this description best. Eugene Peterson, in his version of Matthew chapter 2, he calls them a band of scholars from the east. A band of scholars from the east. Most likely these men were from current day Iraq or Iran or possibly southern Turkey or northern Syria. Timely. Um, they were scientists in the study of astronomy. Um, and, and, and these scientists, they found that many of the answers that they were looking for in life could exist by paying close attention uh, to the planets and to the stars and to dreams. And so what brings them to Jesus uh, on this day that, that the story reads, what brings them to Jesus is that they've seen some sort of phenomenon in the sky. Um, some sort of supernatural happening among the stars. There are a lot of theories about uh, what exactly was happening that drew them to Bethlehem. Um, some say it was Halley's Comet um, or a supernova. Or years ago, Pope Benedict argued that Saturn and Jupiter moved together and toward Earth in a way uh, that drew the scholars to the east to visit or to the west to visit Bethlehem. Um, I have no idea what happened in the stars. I am not an astronomer, and as I have proved up here many a time, I am not a scientist. Um, and it seems like from our reading today, neither is Matthew, because he doesn't give us a lot of information. He simply tells us in his gospel that the men saw a star, it symbolized the birth of a king, and so they made their way to the town to find him. 
Um, the thing I think that's worth noting, though, about this following the star and this quest for the star is, um, is that this band of scholars was actively looking um, for the mysterious and actively looking for the phenomenal and the supernatural. They were actively looking and waiting for something beyond themselves to enlighten them and to reveal to them and to offer fresh insight to them. Um, fresh thoughts to them. And like so many stories that fill the scriptures, uh, the God of the whole universe used that expectation in these guys uh, to reveal more of himself. He used that expectation, that anticipation, that, that, um, that looking into the mysterious to reveal more of who he was and to bring them uh, to Jesus. Uh, the word that is most often used in Christian faith to describe people like this is mystic. Have you heard that? Some people are scared of it. Mystic. Um, there's mystics all throughout the scripture. In the New Testament, um, mystics are people like John the Baptist and John the Apostle. Um, we find them all over history. Um, the desert mothers and fathers, Augustine, uh, St. Anselm, he's a favorite of mine, um, Ignatius, uh, Teresa of Avila. These may be people you've read or read quotes by. Uh, Blaise Pascal. Uh, Rilke, C.S. Lewis, Tozer, Thomas Merton, John Wimber. There are mystics all throughout the centuries. Um, and mystics, they tend to be uh, followers of Jesus who exist sort of on the fringes of uh, the power, on the fringes of things going on. They're people who um, were often thought were absolutely crazy in their day. Um, but they are people who have become key players in describing and defining and awakening the faith in so, uh, so many people. Um, Ruth Haley Barton describes mystic Christians like this. She says, mystics are open and responsive to the mystery of God in Christ and the strange revelations of how God chooses to work in the world. I want to read it one more time. Mystics are open and responsive to the mystery of God and Christ and the strange revelations of how God chooses to work in the world. She goes on, she says, they are those who really believe what we say that we believe. That God is real, that God is mystery, and that God can be encountered in the depths of our being and all over our world. It's been said in a lot of ways, uh, but these wise men found the Christ child because they followed a supernatural revelation of God that led them to Jesus. That's how they found him. And I think it would be wise to allow this to take up room in us this year, to uh, allow ourselves to have an openness uh, to actual encounters with the supernatural or the mysterious or the strange revelations of God and Christ. Uh, as a movement, one of the, this is one of the tenets of the Vineyard, the Association of Vineyard Churches, our denominations, is, is that we have a belief in the God who still does wild things through his spirit to reveal more of Jesus to the world. It's like one of the things that we hold uh, the most near to us. And so my hope is for us as a church that we would spend this year um, teaching and training and intentionally um, learning how to look, training our eyes and our brains and our hearts for how to look for and long for the mysterious and the miraculous all over our world, to become people who really believe and practice what so many of us in this room claim to believe, to live our lives as if God is real 
and if God, as if God is mysterious and as if God is constantly encountering us in the depths of our being and all over our world. Uh, I quoted uh, Ashley Matthews a lot during Advent uh, saying this, is, is that we would be open to the idea that the God who made our brains and our eyes would reserve the right to use them to surprise us. That that's what kind of people uh, we would become in 2020. I think we would uh, do well to learn from the Magi and the mystics, from the bands of scholars, uh, to learn how to put our shoes out, so to speak, to, to wait for the gifts of God, to put our shoes out and wait expectantly and hopefully for the mysterious gift to appear in our souls, pun intended. Some of you got it. <laughs> um, I lost my place on my really good joke. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good one. Um, Carl, Carl Rayner, who is a German theologian, he went so far as to say this. This is a really bold statement. I think you might be onto something. He went so far as to say this. Uh, the Christian of the future will either be a mystic or will not exist. That is to say that the people of Jesus will either learn to look for the God of the Bible on the fringes, the God of the mysterious and the supernatural, or we will lose ourselves to the crazy and I think threatening expressions of faith uh, that are wildly popular right now. We will lose ourselves to things like Christian social clubs. It, it's a thing. Christian social clubs who experience Jesus with not a lot of mystery and not a lot of wildness, sort of like a tiny appendage uh, that lives on our lives. Or another one that I think is incredibly dangerous and rampant is Christian nationalism. Experiencing Jesus through our loyalty to a particular party or affiliation. Um, I want to talk about both of those for a second. The first one, um, Jesus is not a Democrat. Do you, know, do you hear me? Democrats, it's fine that you are. I'm like looking to the left. I'm going to look at the right in a second. <laughs> it's fine that you are. But Jesus isn't. And Jesus is not a Republican. It's fine that you are. But, but Jesus isn't. Jesus is not tied to any party. The Jesus of the scripture is tied only to the Father and to the Son and to the work of the kingdom. That's all. That, <laughs> that's all. And Jesus is not the captain of a social club. Uh, the Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, this is absurd. Nobody liked who Jesus hung out with. One of the biggest complaints against him was who he hung out with. He, he led a terrible social club. He hung out with losers. He hung out with the people who couldn't cut it anywhere else. He hung out with drunks and prostitutes and the sick people. Nobody wanted to get near them. That was his social club. You want Jesus as a social club, you might need to find some new friends. He didn't spend much time with people of power. He spent more time with people on the fringe. That's, that's who he is. That's what he did. I think uh, one of the most important lessons in the story of the wise men is that it tells us of the Christ child who existed on the fringes. Jesus, he was born in a barn, literally on the fringes of a hotel because there wasn't enough room for him. Jesus, whose very first visitors were shepherds. Losers and nobodies. Jesus, whose second recorded visitors were pagan Persian astronomers or astrologers. We wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. Jesus, 
He, he had his second recorded visitors. They were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. This is very important, and we don't want to miss it. N.T. Wright talks about the birth of Jesus and his visitors as the introduction to the Jesus who was constantly smudging the borders. I've said that line before because I love it. The Jesus who was constantly smudging the borders. Jesus exists on the fringes because most often that's where the borders are and he was constantly smudging them. He was constantly blurring the line between who was in and who was out. Jesus, from his very first breaths, was doing what he did his entire life, which was declare that the outsiders were actually in. And this is very good news for us. It is very good news for us. I think uh, one of my huge issues with Jesus as a social club or Jesus um, as uh, a Christian nationalist is that we as American Christians have forgotten our place in the history of things. In the story of Jesus, we're the outsider. In the story of Jesus, we're the alien and we are the foreigner. That's, that's our place. I'm pretty sure about this. Um, I check from time to time. I don't think that we have a single ethnically Jewish person in the room. And if we do and you are, I'm so sorry. Um, and can we talk about it later? Will you find me? I'm so excited. Um, but, but because I think it's a big loss that we don't have anyone. But, but, but as far as I know, none of us um, were, are ethnically Jewish. None of us have been ethnically uh, chosen by God uh, by birth. I heard someone say that Epiphany Sunday, today Epiphany Sunday should be called Gentile Sunday. Because Epiphany Sunday is the celebration that from his very first breaths, Jesus welcomed the outsider. Jesus welcomed the unexpected to the party. And that's us. We are the outsider. Non-Jewish, not chosen of God. Before the visit of the wise men, before this moment that Chad read to us this morning, we, by birth, had no seat at the table of the king. And yet, Jesus revealed himself from his very first breaths to be the carpenter of a very long table, longer than anybody expected it to be and longer than anyone was comfortable with. And he, in this visit from Matthew 2, he smudged the borders and he lengthened the table and he welcomed us. And, and, and our passage in Ephesians 3 tells us that that was always the plan. That from the very beginning, this was always the plan. This was the plan of Jesus. Uh, it's what Paul, uh, who is a mystic, by the way, what Paul was writing about in our, in our lesson that Chad read to us. He says, because of the ministry of Christ, Paul has been given the deep pleasure of sharing the good news with everybody, with all of the Gentiles. Paul is saying, it is my pleasure to share the good news with the whole world, that there is room at the table for you. That there's room at the table for you, the, the big table, the main table. Not, not the table in the other room or the kids' table or the servants' table or whatever else. The, uh, there is room at the table of the king for you. And not just room at the table of the king. There are also gifts at the table that we all have access to. That's a big, important piece that the wild and the miraculous and the supernatural, they are ours to wake up to as people sitting at the table. Because of the king who existed on the fringes, the kingdom of God has come to the world and the borders have been smudged and we have been given access to the mystery and the power of the God who made us. The band can come on up. Uh, so 
here's my New Year's resolution for us. I can never decide if I'm in on New Year's resolutions or out on New Year's resolutions. So if you're out on New Year's resolutions, you can just hear it as my hope for our church. But it's a resolution. Uh, my hope for our church as the Vineyard in 2020 is that, um, that we would learn the depths of what it means to have a seat at the table. And that as we learn uh, those depths, that we would become open and responsive to the kingdom of God. That we would have eyes and ears and hearts to see and experience and participate in the mystery of God and Christ, who is renewing all things in our community and all over the world. Um, before we move on, we're going to take a few minutes and be quiet. Uh, we do this every week. And... Um, and we're just going to sit. There will be verses on the screen if they're helpful for you. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three questions maybe to kind of think through. Um, one of them might resonate with you or none of them or all of them. I don't know. Um, but these were just things I felt like the Holy Spirit was up to. So um, first question, uh, have you ever truly woken up to the idea that a baby in a manger who invites hoodlums and outsiders to visit means that there's room at the table for you? Have you ever truly woken up to the idea that there's room for you? Number two, uh, where in your life is the spirit of God trying to wake you up to the mystery and the power of God's kingdom? And number three, where in your life can you or we start smudging some borders? Where can we practice like Jesus on the fringes? and smudge some borders. Let's pray. God, we believe that you're good and that the gift of Christ is good. We know that he came to make room for us at your table. And so we ask you for the courage and the grace and the mercy to join you uh, in the renewal of our own hearts and refining and restoring and rescuing work that you would do in us this year. We believe that Christ has been revealed to all of the world, to all who would seek him, that nothing about him is hidden from those who, whose hearts are awake to him. So will you wake us up? Will you open our hands and our eyes and our ears and our hearts in our minds, will you awaken us to the mystery of your kingdom that is at work all over the place, in the depths of our being and all over our world? And we give us ears and eyes and hearts for the people on the fringes, for the borders that might be ours to smudge, for the tables that might be ours to lengthen. And we remind us often this year of the baby in the manger who invited the outsider in, who gave space and voice to the lowly and to the outcast and to the foreigner and to the fringe and invited them in, invited them and us to the table of a great high king. Might that feel like a privilege to sit at your table? And as Augustine prayed, we pray that you would make our mouths salty that we might thirst for you.